Hey everybody and welcome to this week's episode of In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. My name is Kevin, one of your hosts. And I am Ethan, two of your hosts. And this episode, we will be discussing In the Cradle of Vexalon, Star Trek Lower Decks, Season 4, Episode 3, directed by Brandon Williams, who worked on... Some sort of Mortal Kombat show and Solar Opposites. A lot of Solar Opposites people on this. And it was written by Ben M. Waller, who um, wrote for Star Trek Lower Decks. That's all I want to mention. Okay. Do you want to mention? Original air date, September 14th, 2023. What, do you know what he's written of Lower Decks? Like, what has this been his? No, that's not relevant to us. No, why would it be? Uh, no, yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm just curious. I want to get a oh, sense oh, of interesting. it. Check this out. This is actually very interesting. A storyboard artist. He was a storyboard artist on We'll Always Have Tom Paris, The Spy Humongous, and Wedge Douge. All good episodes. And storyboard artists on Missing Mind's Eye, Here, All Trust Nothing, and Trusted Sources. Storyboard artist. So what a nice, um, you know, a nice... What's the word? Promotion, right? From storyboards to director. Good, right. good for Brent. Good right. job, Brent. Congratulations. And this episode deals with promotions too. Well, yes, the aftermath exactly. of promotions, let's say. I wonder if the um, deaths go up for the for a first time director on an animated series. Deaths of the crew go up. Oh, maybe I don't know. So I thought this was a Vulcan to tell him. I thought this was a very fun episode. Um, as Lower Decks does on occasion, they give us just straight up plot driven, character driven episodes, but that don't really rely too much on laughs or Easter eggs or anything like that. This one had, you know, a fair amount, but I think it was, but less so than what you would expect in a Lower Decks episode. And with, you know, we had three primary storylines this week. We had Captain Freeman's attempt to repair a supercomputer on Elysium. I kept saying, I kept calling the place Elysium. Uh, Boimler got to experience leading his first away mission. And then Mariner and Tendi and Rutherford, you know, feel like they're being hazed by one of the senior officers. But on those last two, on those last two plots, though, <clears throat> I liked the kind of, um, you know, talking about dealing with promotions, the two, there were like two different sides of it. The three of them were like, we would still be doing this if we were, I mean, before we knew it was a hazing, they were like, we'd still be doing this if we were ensigns. Like, how is this any different than what we were doing before? And then you have Boimler, who's actually getting to lead his first away mission. Right. Which I, yeah. which I really liked. And I liked the idea of just seeing somebody lead their first, you know, lead their first away mission. Right. Yeah. It's got to be stressful. Especially for someone as neurotic as Boimler. Yeah. As we see, it is very tough for him. I think of those three, that was the one, that was the storyline that I was enjoying the most because, you know, in typical Boimler fashion, he's leading them, but doesn't really quite know how. And he's like, he's like that, he's kind of like that almost like supervisor at work that we've all had. We're like the one who shows you how to do everything. And then when they're done showing you, they've done it. And you're like, well, yeah. now what? <laughs> now what do I do? Yeah, when you ask for help and they just come over and do the math problem for you. And I'm like, say, so you can just do that. Right. <laughs> Not actually a good way to teach people. Yeah. Uh, I really, I, th- that was a plot that I was really enjoying, enjoying with him. Yeah. But I think you probably can guess what my favorite plot was for a very specific reason. Freeman's? No. 
well. I guess I only leave the other ones. Well, you know, the fact that yeah. we have the return of the most ridiculous Deep Space Nine episode. Oh, yes. That I, yeah. that I often reference. Move along home. Yep. Yes. You know, move along home. I reference it all the time as a, like, just how silly Star Trek can get. Right. So it only makes sense that it would come up in Lower Decks. It's a, it's a, in a way, it's surprising me that it took them this long to reference Move Along Home. Yes. And also the Betazoid um, gift box. Oh, it's, it's another ridiculous. Stupid fucking. One of the silliest things in Star Trek, I would say. Yeah. So good job for them putting two of the silliest things from Star Trek together. So talking about. Yeah. I. I <laughs> Sorry, because I just have that image in my head of like that's that goddamn box. I just I hate that thing. It's like from the one from Next Generation is even more silly than this one because you can just see the bad makeup and the face sticking. Well, it's interesting because this, in reference to those two episodes from TNG, and then from DS9's Move Along Home, those are actually two, as it happens, two Trek episodes that I probably seen the least i think i've only seen move along home maybe one and a half times yeah yeah i mean the now, first season i don't revisit too often but isn't it true that move along home came from some old script they had laying around or did you just feel that way i don't know but it i think it's funny because it it does have a sort of next generation season season one feel to it yeah Yes, it's like you figured Gene would have still been around for that one. Yes, yeah, just like he was around for the for the Betazoid gift box, right? Yeah, that was season two, I believe. No, I'm sorry, season one. That was season. No, was it? I think it was season one. I think it was season one. I, yeah, that's right. I think it was season one because I think Tashi, I think Yar was still there at the time. Yeah, I think Gene had a hand directly in that one. Oh, I'm sure he did. <laughs> yeah. Um. So let's just sort of go down. So. Um, the episode opens, of course, with them on this planet and they have to repair the supercomputer. And it's, as I said, it looks like the, this, it reminds me immediately of the uh, science fiction film Elysium. And I was like, oh, look, they're in orbit of Elysium. And it's a very ancient technology that Captain Freeman has taken it upon herself to try to repair. And of course Vexel. it leads to chaos and yes. Vexel on the world computer. Vexel on the world computer, who is uh, a much more um, kind of, it reminded me of, uh, was it on Discovery, Zora? Were they calling her Zora yet when it actually, when the when the ship became conscious? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know, but. I think they were. It was like a, it was like a more humorous, funny version of, uh, of Zora. And, uh, yeah, it's really like something we would have seen in the original series. Yeah, except like they well, said, Landry. They, you think of Landry, and they made some of those references, like, "Oh no, is it is it controlling the will of the of the people?" Or mm. like, "No, it's fine. It just needs an upgrade." Needs some upgrade, and then of course, again, she's well intentioned, and of course, the upgrade does not really work, and then all hell breaks loose. And I just thought it was a very funny thing to watch as. It, of seeing, you know, the kind of atmosphere come apart. Like you see the clouds like literally fall to the ground and shatter and all hell kind of breaks loose on this very, it reminded me of a, um, I think it was let he who is without sin. It's a DS nine episode when they go to Riza 
and a team, and a, I think it's like a team of terrorists. They take control of the planet's weather control system, and so what what was, you know, naturally a paradise, becomes like a stormy, rainy hell, and it's like a riser that we've never seen before. And this wow. kind of reminded me of of that. Yeah. Interesting. And also, the the ring of the episode title sounds very original series. In the Cradle of Exelon, yes. Yeah. Very yeah. much so. Are you a fan of that plot? I mean, did you enjoy it? I mean, was it? I mean, obviously, it was not your favorite, basically, since I just yeah. <laughs> guessed Here's it. Here's the thing: I like, I like the fact that it was a moment where we got to see um, Captain Freeman kind of screw up a little bit, right? You know, she was a little overconfident mm-hmm. in her abilities to handle it, and she yeah. got in over her head really fast. Mm-hmm. I guess that aspect of it, I did enjoy. The thing I noticed about her instantly is that she rolled up her sleeves on her uniform, literally, and I'm just like, oh, look at that. Just like just, just like Mariner. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess that's kind of fun, actually, because you don't see a lot of those connections, really. Yeah. Which, yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. I really enjoyed that. Um, and it was just a nice connection to that. Because the thing yeah. is, even though they're mother and daughter, like, it never really occurred to me, like, are they are they alike in any way possible? Do they have any sort of personality traits at all that remind me of them and and while i haven't really done a good enough job trying to you know connect any sort of through line between them the fact that like she rolled up her sleeves and i know it's a very small detail just instantly put it in my head like oh look she's doing what mariner does and mariner does it all the time the fact that she saw it as this fun thing like oh an old world computer this is great that's another very mariner well right And she's probably thinking like, you know, when do I give it? When do I ever get to do anything like this? And then, of course, when yeah. she does it, when it's fun too to see that all she all she had to do um, was get Billups to come, and Billups knows it backward and forward. But yet, she waited until it was a mess before she did that. Uh, another thing is that I think her story was very minimal in that I think it almost served just to kick Boimler's story in the gear in a way. It was because that gave him a chance and his team to really kind of prove themselves because she was relying on them remotely to do some stuff. And I thought that was nice. And Boimler's story, I really, as I said at the top of the show, I really enjoyed because I can't really think, I I think I may have in the past heard Trek characters reference, mention it in dialogue, but I can't think of any moment off the top of my head where we actually get to see somebody leading the way team like that for the very first time and actually show them what to do. And I, so if we have, maybe I just forgot, but in the moment it just felt like a very fresh and unique idea to me. And yes. it's like, what I like about it is he's just very anxious to please and wants to show his team. But then we also find out that he kind of in a way feels bad because he said, I was just ensigned with them a few days ago and now I have to give them orders. Right. And also you see his lack of self-confidence because he said, and then randomly I'm supposed to give them orders and it took Talim to tell him that it was not random. You were promoted because your superiors. Right. You you earned it. That's not random. And I like the role. So I, I'm glad you mentioned her because that was my next point. I like the, I really enjoyed the role that Talim played in this episode. And I, I like that she's, it's interesting. She's not like a, She's a lower decker, but she's not sort of like in their circle, right? She's kind of like a, 
she just kind of comes in on the side. She's like a side player and she just sort of yeah. adds things to the plot. I would like to see an episode kind of more f- focused on her or bring her more to the forefront. But we've had a few episodes with her already. And how are you feeling about the role she has played? I think this is like the third, second or third time she's ha- she's played the role, like what she did for Bournemouth. This is like the second or third time she's kind of done that, where she's sort of reinforcing, you know, positivity or like making somebody believe in themselves, you know? Yeah, it's interesting for a... Um for a Vulcan, but I guess a Vulcan would see it as logical that if this person's leading the mission, you should boost their confidence so the mission will be successful. I'm sure right. some, some logic like that. But I, I really do like the character, and I think it's it's just, it is very uh, funny how much more capable she is than any of the Lower Deckers. Mm-hmm. You know, she could be a captain right now, I feel. Right. She just, she's completely unflappable, which mm-hmm. I guess this all goes to being Vulcan. Right. Uh, but not only that, but she seems to understand human psychology very well because she knew exactly what Bormler was doing right. and was able to keep, tell him what he needed to hear in order to um, to lead the mission well. So I say kudos. She's a fantastic character. Maybe she's a little too good, but I want to see her use. Yeah, I want to see an episode about her. I want to see some flaws or some some more about her character. Mm-hmm. Because I think... So far, it's good. Like, but I don't. The thing is, I don't. the 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 role she serves on the show now, I don't want that to be all it is. In other words, I don't want her to just come in in those crucial moments or just, you know, like a Vulcan always is. She plays the foil, and that's Vulcans typically play foils in scenes and in shows, and that's great. But I also want to be sure that we get more of her, and other than I don't want her just to serve that purpose on the show. Hmm. And I said she's not a foil. Foil gets in I'm the I'm saying way. that sort of like just, sort of not her, just more broadly for Vulcans in general. But yeah, yeah, I, I just read me. Yeah. yeah, she's it's interesting that she's instead of that, she's the helper. She's the uh person that steps in and right. helps the humans to stop being jackasses in a way. But it's a plot line, I think. I mean, it's a total it's all about, you know, obviously leadership struggles. You know, he can't, he struggles to delegate tasks. I think, again, Talyn's presence adds a lot of humor to the, to this. And, um, I just like Boimler admitting his reluctance to trust his team and, and his own growth. And I thought it just all came together really, really well in the end and just helped. Obviously, it was there to help also help support the captain's plot in the end. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much so. Now, the Mariner Tendi Rutherford uh, dilemma. <laughs> Who think they're There's being hazed a- by senior officers? So I'll let you kind of take the charge on this one as you liked it. Sure. So they they get a mission or a job, really, to mm-hmm. scan a whole bunch of these little disks because something's off. And they get this from a fellow named Dirk, who I only knew by looking at the, um, you know, the kind of the extras from Amazon, because I don't know if his name was used. But they have to scan all these little disks because one of them is off by 0.01% or something, mm-hmm. and that's going to cause um, something terrible to happen. But it, when they're given this job, it keeps getting worse and worse. Yeah. So they, tell they, have to, they have to scan all these things by hand. Then they say that the chamber fills up with the gas periodically, so they have to have their breathers ready. And then they say that the uh, disks get very, very hot 
You know what it feels like? If I'm like saying to myself, like, I feel like this is something that would happen on like an Imperial Star Destroyer or something like that. I, I don't know what it is. Like it's like, I think yeah, it reminds me of in Rogue One, at the end of Rogue One, where they have to go into that Yes like, to get the plans. All the little discs yeah. to find the right. But but plan. like the the ad, the additional like having to wear the mask on, on occasion, like I don't know, like just it feels something very like it feels very Star Wars to me in a way. Ridiculousness to it. Anything yeah. we've ever seen anything like this in Star Trek before. Or right. We'll see it again. Like um, but maybe that's because it's all is actually a hazing prank. Maybe that was a you know disguised holodeck. Yeah. Well, they know because uh, once they finish with all the walls are completely covered. Once they finish with all those, he says, "Oh, well, what about the second layer?" And then there's a layer behind that's even hotter. And then they have to use tongs to make it worse. And the fun fact is that um, we have Tendi is immediately suspicious he thinks that this is hazing because Mm -hmm. the orion pirates would do hazing like this right strangely mariner is the one who is not as cynical and she she steps in and says no starfleet wouldn't do that although she does say they wouldn't do it because they're not cool enough to do it (laughs) but it's only tendy that realizes it and the great thing is but i guess they are convinced at a point so they set up a trap for dirk because they realize they think they've been hazed so they get the come along home game and they set it up so that he's going to get pulled into the game when he goes mm-hmm. into his chamber. Yep. Somehow he knows this and he's able to intercept them and say that he has a childhood trauma from that game. And so they abandon that plan. And one of the funniest dialogues from it is when um, Mariner has a job of distracting him from entering his quarter. So she volunteers to talk to him about scuzz jazz or whatever the music is that he really loves. Yeah, yeah. And so she has to listen to him go on and on about this really uh, bizarre music. And so finally they go back and they scan all of them because they realize, or he at least tricks them into thinking that it's true, that they could destroy the ship. Mm-hmm. And it turns out in the end, it was all a, um, it was all hazing, although they never tell them. You only overhear it you with Dirk here, yeah. or at the bar. Yeah. And we get some great things because they go to a place called the Anomaly Storage Room. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty fun. That's where we get the, the Betazoid gift box comes into the yep. situation along yep. with the Come Along Home game, which is funny. I only know it as the Come Along Home game, but it has a different name. Yes. What is that name? Chula? Yes, that's it. It's move along home, not come along home. For some reason, I can never say it right. I always say come along home instead of move along home. Oh, okay. Um, so it's great. It's hilarious. And I think one of the funniest parts is that you have Rutherford at a point gets stuck in it and kind of does a speed run through it. Yeah. <laughs> Right, and it's because we saw the whole episode where um, Cisco and Kira and everyone are stuck in it, and it's so hard for them to get out; they almost die. And yeah. Rutherford running through it like a speedrunner playing Super Mario Brothers. What I like about it is like it's funny to see it again because like since we've, I mean, that was in the first season, and so like between then and now, I mean, like escape rooms have become a real kind of like popular trend now, and I love seeing it sort of like in a world where like escape rooms are like a common thing. Like, imagine if somebody um, actually made a real-life escape room. <laughs> based on that, I would go in a second. I would definitely go in a second. I think it would go in a second, too, yeah. Okay, let you put it in Ticonderoga. Now, here's the thing, though. 
Um, gift boxes aren't sentient, but apparently they can pick up phrases. So what's the one that this one learned? Well, they learned, um, suck a Borg dick, mother beep. <laughs> that was a great one. Yeah, I'm sure now it's come out of that thing. They had a lot, but but I think the funniest part, forgetting the funny lines already, is when it gets zapped with the life, live a complete life ray. Yeah. And and it says, uh, wait, what did he say? Like, where where am I? Did I just live a complete life? I miss my wife. That was great. Um one thing I want to mention, so it's it's a, it's a very minor detail, but when Tendi is sort of like had enough of this shit, and you see her like you know pulling out of scanners like guns and everything like that, and she's like she's very like determined to do what she's doing. I'm saying to myself like we've seen this shot like three other times. I can recall seeing it like in DS9 when she's like getting ready to go like you know it's like basically when Tendi's getting ready to go and kick some ass. I'm saying like we've seen this like version of this shot so many times in the show, and I just love that we're seeing it again. But even though she's not carrying weapons, she's carrying like scanners. <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, there is one minor detail I've got to bring up on, on a previous plot, but I'll wait until unless you're done. Me too. Yeah, I want to yeah. talk more about Boimler. Um, Could be the same plot, but um, I think I was going to ask you, were you expecting Boimler to locate Laura Palmer? Yeah, so I forgot, I forgot to mention this. Yeah, so yeah. he has a, a Twin Peaks reference right. moment. And I love Twin Peaks. I really do. And it was very weird to see it. I was even confused at first. Luckily, I was watching it with my wife. And I, I had to kind of ask her, like, wait, this Twin Peaks? But once I saw the black and white, and then once the frog thing started speaking backwards in the jazz music. Yeah. yeah. Very weird because not only Star Trek doesn't do this, but even this show doesn't really do this. If they reference things in the show, it's Star Trek. It's that's funny because it's. I was telling you the other day. I mean, it, it's not often that Trek makes reference to other franchises. I mean, they do do it on occasion, unless you consider Shakespeare a franchise. Media franchises, maybe I should. Maybe I should say, yeah, uh, plays are media. But even then, like, I don't know that they've done it this cut and dry. <laughs> It's like, yeah, yeah, this was very strange because this was very common in the 90s, right after and during Twin Peaks. This was a very common joke to do because it's mm. so easy. You're right. So it was very strange to see it now. And it's like, so I imagine someone on the writing staff was just a huge Twin Peaks fan or someone just watched it for the first time and had to throw this in there. But it was very, very strange. And I assume many people didn't know what the heck it was. I mean, I didn't know what it was. The right moment to do it. If he died, the, you know, it can be just, he'd be in just a weird, insane place. That's totally fine. So I guess it didn't really matter if you knew Twin Peaks or not. I mean, I know that you, over the years, have been, you know, kind of, uh, shall I say, desperate, I guess, in some ways, to get me to watch, to get me to watch that show. And that's because I know you love television, and it's such an important show for television. And... Yeah. I think I did watch when we did the other podcast. I did watch on the air, which was, I thought, interesting. Yes, right? Yeah. That was an insane show. Yeah. In a very weird follow-up. The other one, Twin Peaks, is nothing like that. But it was, it's as bizarre. Yeah, you should, I tell you, you should just at least watch the first episode of Twin Peaks. But that's a conversation for another time. Next time we bring back uh, Prime Time Oddities, possibly. That was a fun podcast. I know. I'm sorry. Um, 
Uh, the the Twilight Zone one's your fault, but that one was both of our fault. I think we could... So one thing we didn't get this week, though, is we didn't get an update on that villain or that whatever that is from the first two episodes. So nothing, oh, yeah. nothing happened there. Yeah. Interestingly, there was no scene before the credits this week at There's all. None, yeah, it's always weird to me when they do that. Yeah. I mean, I think in Lower Deck's case, it's not usually a scene that's integral to the plot. It's typically just a punchline. Yeah, like a funny little scene. Or yeah. it's been this this ship murdering people. Right. But I don't um yeah, it's it's bizarre when we don't when we don't when we don't get that. True. Very true. It is odd. Um one of my favorite lines of this episode is when um <laughs> they're talking about science stuff and Talyn says Everything that's ever happened is science stuff. Yeah, and Boyd McCann says, "Oh, yeah, I guess you're right," <laughs> which is not a, which is actually not a not a very bad point to make. It's a very good point. Yeah, yeah. I really like that. Um, I thought also for another Tillin line that I really like is uh, when Boimler says, um, "When she gets Boimler to realize that the crew, his away team crew, should should participate," he says, "They could all have greatness in them." And Tillin says, "That remains to be seen." Yeah. It was a very Vulcan response. So like, Absolutely. all right, let's not get carried away. I said totally you should Vulcan. trust them. I'm not saying they're great. But it's just, it reminds me of when we first met her at the end of, towards the end of season two. It, it was that episode where we saw the three, the lower decks of like those three different, two different, it was the Vulcans and the Klingons. Then we saw the Borg lower decks at the end, which I thought was very funny. And... I'm sitting there and I'm saying to myself, like, I just want, just give me like a Klingon lower deck show. And you were more like cheering on like the Vulcans because it was just so, the, remember, like, I felt like an idiot because the humor just went right over my head. And you were like, no, that was like some of the funniest shit they ever written. Yeah, because they were just so Vulcan, so over the top Vulcan right. to, that it became silly. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, with Talyn and I'm, you know, we did get a little bit more of the Klingon lower decks earlier in the season. But I'm thinking to myself, like, it would be great if they did expand it into, like, its own sort of mini franchise. Like, this. like what are the lower decks like on these other ships? And how does it go? And I, I would, dude, I would kill to see a Klingon lower decks. I think it would, I just think it would be fantastic if they did that. And I guess they've also set up what could be a Romulan lower decks where they're always plotting to destroy their captain. Right. <laughs> and the captain's always aware of it, too, which I love. Yes. And they get insulted, but they think they're like not plotting well yeah. against them. Um, I really like the term Tellarite slop jazz. Yes, and I love what Mariner says. It sounds wet, and that's what I like about it. <laughs> great, great, great. Uh, some of my other favorite funny lines. Uh, when after Boimler is convinced that he should let the crew participate, he says, Talyn said I have to put you in danger, so let's go. And Talyn says, that's not how I would have communicated the lesson. <laughs> one thing I didn't catch on the first viewing, and I didn't see it till the second one, is when they show the um, the power generators on the planet, they look exactly like the NX-01's warp core. Oh, that's fun. They're, like exa- they're exactly the same. I didn't catch that. That's fun. So it says the power, yeah, I'm going off of, so, so, um, you know, the power codes that have installed there and stuff express contact with the planet. Yeah, the similar design to the warp core on the Enterprise NX-01, which I thought was really interesting. 
Mm. So I think, um, you know, I know that Lower Decks, I'm sure I've said versions of this in the past, but, you know, Lower Decks, of course, it's meant to be, you know, comedy and not necessarily parody, but, you know, does like to poke fun at the franchise and whatnot. And while they did it in this episode, again, it was, I felt like it was with that, with Easter eggs, it was sort of kept more to a minimum this week. And this is not the first time the show has done that. It's, you know, they've done it many times in the past. You know, they instead to, you know, they really focused on making character growth and development the star this week. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know the appeal of Lower Decks, again, is about the Easter eggs and the, you know, the references and coming in left and right. But when they don't do that, and they just do an episode like this, in a way, I kind of almost like the show a lot more. I I like the both, but I see your point, because it kind of stands on two feet. And you know what's interesting is, in the anomaly storage room, they could have went hard with the references in there if they wanted to. And they really didn't. Well, it's like what what was um I think it was season it was season two, I believe, with the first episode of season two when they went remember they went into that like it was like that it was when they first brought on um Keishon. And when you go yeah. trying to do a little stuffed animal. There was like that huge museum ship. I remember they had like they had like the giant Spock two hanging up there, like it was all those artifacts. Like it could have been I think it could have been that again. But I like that they decided not to go that route. Instead, they just kind of kept it. Instead, they chose two well chosen: the right, Long Home, and and the Betazoid right box. So and they also connected to one storyline had all the references, and the rest of the stories could exist on their own. But I like the way you put it. You say it's episodes like it's really it's episodes like this that show that the sh- that the series can really stand on its own two feet and not have to just simply be about callbacks and references and in jokes and easter eggs and all that stuff I, when they when they do get away from that and they just do that and they just do like a you know maybe not the best way best way to put it they just get away from that and just do like a star trek episode mm, i'm yes. like i'm just watching i'm going yeah look do more of this guys like let's you know i totally. i get it I think- but like let's you know They've already done something that many shows were afraid to do, which is uh, give their characters promotions. You, when that happened, we I, I, we may have discussed it when we were discussing that episode, but I can remember us talking about that a while back, saying like, "How long do they essentially stay lower decks? Do they all get promoted eventually?" And right. but I like stay. that it's like there's still lower deck. It's almost like there's tiers of lower decks. <laughs> Yes, and also it's a mindset. In a yes, way. right. Yeah, yeah. So I think, in a way, it's more realistic than many of the other shows because, you know, famously, some characters went entire series without a promotion. So it's much more realistic than a couple of years for people in lower decks, and they would move on to something. And you saying it's a mindset is a good point because I think that ties directly into the way Boimler demonstrated that this week. Like he's, it's still in some ways somewhat of a mindset because he's just kind of used to doing it all. That he's not, he's never really been in a position to kind of show somebody something before. So yes, and he probably feels like since he's the leader, he's responsible for everything. So the only way to make sure it goes right is for him to do it all himself. It's just. I just, and I also just think it's really cool to be able to, you know, obviously we don't know how long the show is going to run. It'd be cool if it ran long enough that we get to see them move all the way up. But 
it's interesting to watch a show and see the characters like grow in rank as the series progresses. You know, typically in Trek, we'll see somebody get like one promotion and that's it. But this show has the potential to follow them. With the original crew, you'd come back from a movie and someone would be a captain. Right. From one movie to the next. By the fourth film, they're all, they're all commanders. I think, I think every last one of them is, but right. Um, like lower decks has the possibility to like show us them move all the way up right and i and i would love it if the show ran long enough that they did that i mean it took us three years to get to this point you know i hope it doesn't take us that long to get to the next one um but i also realized too that in watching this and watching their promotions i don't really think i know what the kind of like command structure and on a ship really is and like moving up in starfleet like what are the gradual ranks and what comes with those res- and what comes with those responsibilities, right? Like even on Voyager, like I've heard them say in meetings, like it's implied that all the senior officers have staffs that report to them, right? But they just say it and I, I but I know nothing about like, so like what is the structure exactly? You know, like, is it like a, you know, is it like, we're, in a way, is it like a corporate structure where like maybe you have like your corporate officers and then like each there's like different departments that report to them and like like how does it actually work? I don't I have no clue. So it seems like in each department you rise up in that department, but let's say, you know. Yeah. So I guess Tendi would still be under Billops. Right. And uh, Rutherford also. Right. Even though they might all share the same rank. It's also their division. They're in a different division as well because she's more, yeah. Yeah, like I think even in the military, if you're, mm-hmm. you know, in different parts, you can have the same rank but very different jobs. Right. I I feel like in a way the show, I can see the show eventually, like theorizing for a second now, like imagine if the show did take it so far where we, ought to, we actually all got to see them get promoted to captain or something like that or like become senior officers. I feel like the show would never won't break the team up. I can totally see the show giving us like them being a senior staff all together under a captain or maybe one of them is captain, right? Like I can absolutely imagine Boimler as captain, Mariner as his first officer, and then Tendi and Rutherford as two of the senior officers and maybe Talin as one of their other senior officers, right? Or um, yeah, maybe Tendi as like, the chief medical officer or something like that. Like I would love to see the show get there some way. I think that'd be a very satisfying way to conclude that story for all of them, where they just all end up sort of sticking together. Yeah. It would be, this would be the show to be able to do that because it is animated. Why not? Yeah. And I hope that because it's animated, it doesn't mean that it's, you know, because it's animated, but also because it's streaming. I don't want it to like only go like four or five, six seasons and that's it. Like I, I would love to see it continue. Like, you know, can they make the show the Simpsons of Trek and have it go for like, like rival the Simpsons maybe because that's 35 years or whatever it is. You could do a show all about Harry Kim and he's an ensign that entire time. But I think, you know, I'd like to see the show get a lot of years out of it. Right. And not just go like yeah. six, seven years and that's it. Yeah. That would be good. And, you know, I mean, it seems like they're committed to keeping, um, what's her name? 
sorry. Um, Mariner in the folds, uh, Tony Newsom says, you know, they're making her a writer on another show. So, you know, and they seem to really like um, Jack Quaid. Yeah. It seems like they have a good team there that it would make sense to keep them together if you can. But I think also, and just as a a gig, right, doing voiceover like that, I mean, that's a really good side gig. Right, yeah, especially when you see they seem to enjoy it as much as they do, and it seems like they do legitimately enjoy each other. Right. It's just weird for us to see Jack Quaid in Scream and then in, and then Oppenheimer. I'm like, oh my god, boy. No. <laughs> Although, granted, he, he was a very, very small role in Oppenheimer, but still. But nevertheless. Like, but it, like Picture-nominated film. Yeah. yeah. That's a... That's a real deal. Well, like he's, it's like, it's, he may have a small role, but it's like, that's high profile. I mean, that's like, he's in a Christopher Nolan film. Yeah. Right? I remember saying to you, I think I said to you, like, when they were sitting there waiting for the nuke to go off, I thought to myself, if he does the Bournemouth scream, I'm going to, like, lose my mind. (laughs) (laughs) And really, when you think about it, he had not that much less to do than Rami Malek, who's an Oscar winner in that movie. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, just being in it in any way, even being an extra in that movie is pretty good. And is that show he's in, The Boys, is that still in production? Yes. Yep. And that's a you know, very well loved show. I am one that well loves it. Yeah. So all I have to say is like, yeah, please remain available, lower decks cast, because we don't want you all going anywhere. Yeah, it's easy. Don't don't <clears throat> you know, don't price yourself out of the game. Sit in your closet like, for a little while, record some lines, make a couple. Yeah, it's not that hard. You don't have to pay top dollar to do this. You know, you can do a little charity for us fans. <laughs> no, they should be paid obviously for their talents and all that. But, of course they should. But you know what I mean. Don't... No, neither. Uh, yeah, and he's been. You need and I've seen photos of them. They're all, uh, you know, supporting the strikes, which is a, uh, which is a really good yeah. thing. So next week's episode is called "Something Borrowed, Something Green." Really? You sure? Tendi is summoned back to Orion for a wedding. Wait, that hold on. This is the one that airs today. Yes, we are behind. So, but we haven't. I've I've actually not seen it yet. So, but I thought it was called something else. You're sure that's right, right? Episode four, something borrowed, something green. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair. So we are a little late in doing this, just because I've you know I've had some issues that I had to tend to, but um. So as we record this, it came out today, but I have not seen the episode yet. You have not seen it yet. Sorry, I didn't know we were filming. <laughs> filming, recording. Whatever. Yeah, we're recording. Oh, yeah, it's because I saw the name of episode five, and that's why I was confused. Oh, okay. Oh, Betazoids. Episode five. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. I don't care. A trio of dangerous Betazoids cause utter chaos on the Cerritos. Empathological right. fallacies. That one sounds good. Holy shit, we are all over the place here, aren't we? I'm looking forward to that one. That's September 28th. All, all right. right, so part of something green. Got a lot to do to win me over. Because empathological fallacies is looking pretty good. Um, So I should also mention that Lower Decks is going to be at New York Comic Con this year how in what capacity i don't know it's um, a writer's strike and a screen actor strike they're not allowed to do anything that promotes anything i don't know they're heading to, okay. NY, they're headed to nycc maybe so, it'll be uh um, no maybe idea. it'll just be uh what's his name i think an episode's actually going to debut there as well 
So that's yeah, that makes more sense. Um, um, so I'm surprised they can even have New York Comic Con at all. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, well, I mean at, at least for the film and TV side. Sorry, I mean, yeah. it's so yeah, it's just sound in and of itself, yeah. But, yeah. So, now, before we wrap, I just want to ask you and give me a hot take, because I've only seen one of them. These ridiculous, very short treks that are getting, that are going out. Yes. Okay, you've seen more than I have, I think. I've seen three, and I liked one a lot, and I like didn't like the other two very much. But I, I saw the first one, and I thought it was one of the stupidest things I ever saw. I know it's not meant to be taken seriously, but yeah. I can at least say the animation style, they do a fantastic job evoking the uh, oh, the animated series, yeah. yeah even the, the, the opening, they do the same Star Trek with the swooping Delta in. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but it has the animation style and the music even has that little warble that filmation mm-hmm. uh, music would have. It's really, really well done. Yeah. I did think one where Spock does comedy, tries to do comedy, was very, very funny. I think the other two were silly. Voiced by Ethan Peck, yes. Yeah, so yeah, we got to see the Strange New Worlds crew in filmation style. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. Yeah, it's very funny. It was very funny. Yeah. I think... Uh, Maybe next week we'll uh, talk about that one since it's, in my opinion, the only good one so far. Well, I think, I, I believe there are more coming. You said there's three right now. I think there's more of them coming. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll get another one. But um, Not I, I, I saw the first one, but I didn't know. I actually, I knew of them, but I didn't know kind of the tone of them. So I'm watching this and I'm saying, what is going on? What is this? And I was just getting like, I was getting annoyed at just how stupid it was. Yeah. I, the one I watched today was pretty stupid too. Yeah. It was really one, there was, there was one gag and it was not that good to begin with, but you know, they're just promotional things. They're just supposed to be funny. I just wish they got some of the, maybe the funnier lower decks writers to do them. I mean, it is the 50th anniversary of the animated series. So it's, and, yeah, you know what? They're actually doing something, which is more than can be said for a lot of the past anniversary. What I wish they would do is release the animated series on digital, so I could. That'd be nice. Oh, oh no, yeah, but it's on. It is on. It is on Blu-ray. Paramount. I do have Blu-ray, but I'm also a digital. It's on Paramount Plus too. It is. Yeah. But you want to own it on digital? I like to own things on digital as well. I mean, I I own physical and digital, but I just wish that I could. You know, my <laughs> digital library is just. It's like there's a hole right there. You know. Can't you just um, I mean, I I, what, you put them in digitally yourself with your Blu-rays? I don't have a burner. And I don't have a disc I, drive in my PC. Well, yeah. you should get them. Well, I don't have a disc drive in my PC. You don't have to buy them if you just... I think the entire series... You can download it on um, Internet Archive. Ooh. Oh. Well, I'm sure the, the, the Fidelity is probably not you know, it's funny though, when that series came out on Blu-ray, I was a little surprised because I actually thought they were going to fix it, like fix the errors. And I thought, cause I thought to myself, how difficult would it be to do that? Yeah. And it's, I'm sure they did it on film. So how hard can it be? Yeah, you just, recol- you, just re- you just, you know, recolor it and just kind of, well, and also like when they announced it was coming to Blu-ray, I thought to myself, how it's hand drawn, like, is the, is the quality even going to look any different? 
But it will look worse because you're going to see too much detail. It it didn't. It, I don't think it looks great at all. I mean, that's. I, yeah. I, but the one thing I learned from buying a few um, uh, animation cells from different shows is that they're very crudely drawn. They are. Like when you see one up close, one cell, it's like, whoa, this is really, really. Uh, yeah. And I'm sure this and those shows I bought were from the eighties, so I'm sure in the seventies it was even more so. It's, it's in a way, more. it's it's disappointing in a way too. It just wrecks completely. It ruins your illusion of it all. Yeah, it's still neat though to see the you know. I bought one from the Ghostbusters. Like the person drawing this didn't really give a shit. I think probably just they had to draw so many. Uh, oh know? yeah, yeah. I mean, that's when you had to draw like every you had to draw every single frame. I can't even imagine. Exactly. I can't imagine the tediousness. Of all of that. Yeah. I'm surprised it looked, never looked as good as it did, given what the individual cells look like. Yeah. All right. Do you have any more odds and ends? Or are you good? Let's see here. I might just have another funny line I didn't mention. Da, 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 da. Oh, yeah. Um, here's one. Give me 30 cc's of whatever just worked a fucking minute ago. <laughs> I think that was the last line of the show, maybe, but that was funny when the doctor's talking about bringing uh, Boyama back to life for the yep. second time. That was a good one. I noticed that when he was all burned up like that, he looked like that in season th- uh, two when he was in the episode We'll Always Have Tom Paris. And when he was stuck in the Jeffrey suit, was when he couldn't get the uh, doors to open because he still wasn't registered on the ship yet. And at one point, like he looked like a Kazon, and Tom Paris thought he was a Kazon. <laughs> He looked very. He looked very similar to that. Oh, one other funny thing: when the Betazoid gift box says "Eat a board, dick, motherfucker," mm-hmm. Tendy says, "Oh, I didn't know the doctor came in here," <laughs> implying that the doctor was the one saying that. Which I feel like we sense. haven't seen enough of the of the doctor yet this season. We, I mean, right? We, do we even see her this week? Ah, uh, yeah, the thirty three CCs, motherfucker, or no, the thirty CCs. Give me thirty Beyond CCs. That, did we see her, and that was kind of that it, was right? It. Was yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I I have to say though, I mean, I know I think we did this in the first season. I don't know that we've mm-hmm. done it since, where we like said like, do we have a favorite gag or anything for the season? And and I know we're only three episodes in, but I think and I don't know if this is going to change at very moment. But right now, the ones that that still tickle me is from last week, when or two weeks ago at this point, I should say. Um when Boimler has his quarters next to the nacelle mm. and then he moves his quarters and they're between the two holodecks and he can hear things on both sides of the wall like those are things that I just like the, it was the idea of like you think of like a starship being like you know kind of like you don't think of like bad in, like bad design bad industrial design bad housing design or whatever you want to call it on a ship mm. And the fact that, like, you know, we've all lived in those, like, shitty, badly designed apartments. And, like, that's, that's, that, that's still a thing in that century. And that can be a thing on a, on a starship. Yeah. yeah. I, my favorite part of that was the Doctor and Shax's uh, Robin yeah. Hood sex fantasies. Yeah. <laughs> because it was like, it's, it's sort of like everybody, you know, people have those apartments where they like, where they face a fluorescent sign or like, Somebody yeah, with a very loud neighbor having sex with a very <laughs> neighbor, yeah. and I like I like that that is even still a thing on a starship. Yeah, because certainly we've never seen it before. 
Right. And like, but, why is there a room yeah. between two holodecks? Those were not, uh, this is not the flagship, so the design's not as good, I guess. Right. And that, and I think that's why it's so brilliant. Like, it's like, not only is the ship not important, not only is the, is the California class just not important, it's also just, it's got some pretty shitty design to it as well. Mm-hmm. Which I think is really funny. Um, cool. Let's, and that should do it then. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. So we'll be back next week to discuss something borrowed, something green. Until then, we will see you then. And we'll be back the week after that for the beta set. Sure, yeah, sure. All right. (laughs) Bye.